You're listening to I Have Some Notes, a podcast supported by listeners like you. To contribute, visit patreon.com slash I Have Some Notes. Hey, Scott, come see what I discovered while looking through this electron microscope. Hmm. See some atoms, few electrons, and... Wait. Oh, my. Is that what I think it is? It is. You're looking at the last little bit of goodwill audiences have for the MCU. Incredible. I thought it was all gone. This is the last of it. I bet there's enough here to justify a third Ant-Man movie with plenty left over to last us until Deadpool 3. I have some notes. Welcome, everyone, to I Have Some Notes, the movie podcast with cuts, keeps, punch-ups, and tweaks on mediocre movies. I'm your host, Liam Kreswick. I'm Scott C. Bourgeois. And I'm Greg Beaver. And today we are discussing Ant-Man and the Wasp, colon, Quantumania. At last. (laughs) We've been teasing it all season. (laughs) And as we dive into the highs and lows that is the MCU, we are joined by our friendly neighborhood acronym as well. Just like the MCU, we got the fellas from Talking Smack, superhero movies, animation, and comics. Josh and Alex are here. Hey, hey, big guys. Hey, hey. Hey, I just want to say, I know you guys know a lot of super-powered podcast people, and I just wanted to say... Thanks for thanks for thinking of me. I almost nailed it. Damn it. <laughs> it would have been a great reference if I had nailed it. Uh, thanks for thinking of me. That's the line. <laughs> well, uh, thanks for thinking to be here. Because, uh, yeah, we enjoy your, your podcast. Uh, folks can check you out all over social media. Once again, that's Talking Smack, S-M-A-C. Uh, and, uh, yeah, they were here for the Ant-Man or the... Thor episode. Yes, we are. We are here for the Ant Man. <laughs> you are that too. Yes. Um, Join us for Thor. Also here for Ant Man and the Wasp. Quantum Mania. Um. Yeah. How how does uh how's everybody's uh, post Ant Man life? <laughs> <laughs> yes, pretty much the life same is- as pre life, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> it uh, it definitely changed nothing for me. <laughs> <laughs> my you pre and post Ant Man life, yeah, yeah, it certainly <laughs> changed the 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 hands on the clock <laughs> from beginning to end. I have less teeth. <laughs> Is Whoa, that Ant Man's fault though? <laughs> okay, no. I don't know, man. Paul Rudd doesn't like criticism. <laughs> <laughs> I I did actually lose a tooth once. Uh, watching a movie. Fun fact: I was crunching uh, down on some on, on some popcorn, and just like it, just uh, the, my ooh. molar just cracked right apart ooh, in the theater. Damn. And I was like, I was like, what, what is what is this incredibly hard <laughs> thing in my mouth? Oh, and it's very sharp. <laughs> See, I I will always remember my MCU experience started with we went to the midnight showing of Iron Man opening night, and for some reason I got in my head that I wanted to make a chocolate cake beforehand. And I tried one of those skillet in the oven recipes. Mm. 
<laughs> and so, of course, it finishes, and I open the oven and look and go, oh, it's a skillet. I can grab it with my bare hand. Oh, boy. <laughs> so, grabbed it. Midway up, I'm like, this is kind of hot. <laughs> so, we run out, you know, head to the uh, head of the pharmacy, get some burn stuff, and I'm watching Iron Man at midnight with my with my left hand in the air, it <laughs> pulsing with every heartbeat as I'm watching this, going like, "Oh shit, they nailed it! This is great!" Ow! <laughs> so bad for the people behind me because I'm like constantly just look like I'm signaling a taxi. Just <laughs> you're just moved by the spirit of Tony Stark. <laughs> yeah, hell yeah! It's, this man's going to route. the church of the MCU, baby. <laughs> Um, in preparation for this episode, was this everyone's first time with Ant-Man uh, and the Wasp Quantumania? Or, like me, did you also see it in theaters? Theaters! Um, theaters. Saw it in theaters. I no theaters. Not. Yeah. Uh, it, it's just been hard to get out to the theater with two like young kids, and then there was that whole pandemic thing. Mm-hmm. I have been able to get out to the theater, but uh, when Ant-Man came out, it was just not a high priority. And I was like, I'll catch it on streaming at some point. And then I started to hear very middling or bad reviews for it. And my desire to see it kind of cratered. And uh, so, yeah, this was, in fact, my first time watching it. Now, Liam, having seen it twice, uh, which experiences was better uh, in the theater or at Scott's place with several children running around while we were watching it? <laughs> well, um, with friends was fun with you guys. I don't think we actually haven't watched many movies together f- for this podcast. Yeah. So uh, I'd say neutral, you know, uh, on one hand, <laughs> you're, you've got the fresh faced optimism of going to a new MCU movie in a theater. So it was, I came out of it, you know, pretty, pretty and positive. Uh, and then you think about it for more than five seconds and you're like, wait a minute, like most Marvel movies. Um, and whereas with you guys, uh, yeah, it was good, good to hang out, get to saw, saw Scott's new home, uh, met your families, just hung out in person, which we don't normally get to do. So, uh, the comparable. Kids, the kids comparable. weren't that bad, honestly. Yeah. yeah. Scott, <laughs> uh, Greg, Greg asked, not me. You know, I know. <laughs> yeah. I was actually shocked at how well behaved they were during the, the entire, uh, the entire run of it. Occasionally, I think they even got interested in the movie, for, but not for long. Just like, <laughs> yeah. <me>. I, <laughs> As I recall, your your daughter actually applauded at the end. Like yeah. She might have been applauding because it was over. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, honestly, the movie's not that bad. I mean, it was. No. It was, yeah. you know, it's probably one of the more inoffensive action movies that I've seen in recent times. And like, I mean, it's greatest sin, I believe, is that I'm going to forget about it as soon as this podcast is over. Like, <laughs> the only reason I'm keeping any of its factualness inside my head is to finish this show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's definitely not as bad as I think I was kind of expecting it to be based on what I'd heard about it. Um, that's not to say it was good. But it it wasn't terrible. It was it was very watchable popcorn fluff. It uh, Alex, Josh, how'd you guys feel about it? <laughs> well, it existed. You see, I I went to a place. I sat in a chair, and when I got up from the chair, I wasn't dead. So that's <laughs> actually not bad. <laughs> I, I did not feel like you know, um, like I was being tortured. It was mostly I would just this feeling of. But benign neglect, as if, <laughs> as if suddenly, 
something was taken from us, that Kevin Feige's eyes were looking towards something else, and this somehow escaped him. And then <laughs> four more movies have come out in TV shows that have all done the same thing. <laughs> Benign Neglect is the exact movie we're always looking for for this show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I... I don't know. I, this is another one of those disappointment movies where there's a lot of potential for what the MCU can grow beyond Endgame, and it just does the same MCU shtick, and it doesn't work. Like I think, well, so do we use the name of the actor in this situation, or should we just say Kang? Sure, we'll call him Kang for now. We'll just call him yeah. okay, <laughs> Kang. Kang was, I thought he was fine. He was good, but it's still a poor representation of the character of Kang. And we'll get into it when we talk about our fixes. Um, but he's basically just a telekinetic and they're just like, oh, he's so scary. Yeah, I wasn't really, I wasn't really clear on what his powers were. And I guess we'll get into this after we go through the the summary of the movie. But yeah, I was, uh, I was a little unclear of, of what he does and what his powers are. Uh, catch everyone up to speed in case you haven't seen this particular Ant movie. Uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania came out February 17th of 2023. So it's about a year old. Directed by Peyton Reed, uh, formerly of uh, Ant-Man fame. Uh, written by Jeff Loveness uh, of Rick and Morty fame. And based on the insect Formicide. Cast is Paul Rudd as Scuttling Ant-Man. Evangeline Lilly as Hope Van Dyne the Wasp. Michael Douglas as Dr. Hank Pym, Michelle Pfeiffer as Janet Van Dyne, that guy as Kang the Conqueror, and Catherine Newton as Cassie Lang. See, actually, I find it interesting is you announce who wrote it. The first mm-hmm. two movies were co-written by Paul Rudd. And while he hasn't written very much other than uh, writing role models, I really think that you can see... and Well, you can really feel the lack of his polish on the script. Mm. Yes, yeah, interesting. The the humor doesn't seem quite as um, uh, sharp. Yeah, I, there's I, also like five recurring characters from the previous two Ant Man movies who do not appear in this film in any capacity, mm-hmm. and yeah. at least three of them are glaring omissions. Oh yeah, like like I can accept Scott's ex and her new and her new husband not being in the movie, although they're fun. Sure. Uh, but the three ex-cons that Scott works with not being there is a glaring omission. <laughs> I mean, that was the yeah. meme going around. I am so excited to see him recap Endgame for us as we head into this movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're kind of the they're kind of the crew that sort of they hung those other two movies off of, right? Yeah. So it does. Yeah. That was the, they were the comedic troupe. Yeah. And Luis being absent from that entire movie is is just glaring and it it's it's part of the heart that's kind of missing because uh Luis for lack of a better term is kind of like Scott's puppy who just is like he's my best friend he's the greatest guy in the world and we're going to go have an adventure and it's going to be awesome I'm going to almost die but it'll be great because I'm doing it with my buddy Scott like he's just that ball of energy that's carrying a lot of the emotional weight of the movie because he's the one having fun and he raises that fun level for the audience yeah, they managed to get Randall Park for a cameo, but they couldn't get the XCon guys in there. That <laughs> that seems weird to me. Right. 
Yeah. Like, even for a cameo, just acknowledge that they're still around and kind of part of Scott's life. But no, they're just missing. And that was strange to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, Scott, you want to hit us with that uh, plot summary, please? You're an interesting man, Scott Lang. You're an Avenger. You have a daughter. But you've lost a lot of time, like me. We can help each other with that. Who are you? I'm the man who can give you the one thing you want. What's that? Time. You make this easy for you. You will bring me what I need. Or everything you call a life will end. Scott Ant-Man Lang has become a popular celebrity and best-selling author since he tangled with the doomsday forces of that infamous Purple Goblin. He barely even superheroes anymore, much to the chagrin of his daughter, who's dedicated herself to helping the victims of the blip. At a family dinner with Hank, Janet, and Hope, Cassie calls out Scott for his disinterest in helping those in need. Cassie then reveals she and Hank are working on a communication device to talk to the quantum realm for some reason. Janet screams to turn it off because the quantum realm is a dangerous place. A fact I guess she forgot to mention when she helped send Scott there before the snap. Now that's quite a brain fart. Or maybe this is an alternate universe. Who even knows anymore? Anyway, it all goes tits up and everyone is sucked into the quantum realm, including all of Hank's hyper-intelligent ants. Separated from Hope, Hank, and Janet, the Langs meet a group of rebels fighting against a tyrannical ruler named Kang. They learn that Janet played a role in Kang's rise to power. Meantime, after narrowly escaping capture by an old acquaintance, Janet confesses she and Kang once worked together to escape the quantum realm using his multiversal power thingamajig. But it turned out that Kang sucked, so she decided to betray him. She then used the powers of inbigoning to render the thingamajig useless, leaving Kang stranded. Now captured by Kang, Scott is given a choice to recover the thingamajig or watch his daughter get tortured to death. It's a tough choice. After some lengthy probability shenanigans and a timely save by Hope, Scott insmallens the multiverse power sphere and returns it to Kang. But gasp! Kang reneges on the deal. He captures Janet with the help of his henchman Modok and destroys Hank's ship. Hank is rescued by the hyper-intelligent ants. Remember them? They apparently traveled through time and have evolved over the eons. Sure, why not? Along with the ants and the rebels, Scott, Cassie, and Hope defeat Kang and use the thingamajig to teleport home. I, I I really when I was watching this I did not feel like the plot was particularly complicated. So when I sat down to write the plot summary, I, it got long very quickly to my surprise. <laughs> like it, there's a lot going on in this movie and I did not expect that as I was <laughs> scripting it out. Yeah, there's there's quite a few like plot beats along the way and mm-hmm. many of them are not super necessary yeah like it, there's, it feels like there's, there's a lot of parties padding. yeah yeah there are two parties basically meeting the two factions at cross purposes in this realm and we get almost a full movie for each adventuring party maybe we could have collapsed it but yeah there's you know hope 
Janet and Hank, and then Cassie, Scott, and the Rebels. Um, they they were really hoping to do The Empire Strikes Back, and they failed completely at making that interesting. You know, because I I can totally see them going like, okay, they're going to get to this cool new world. They're going to the bar. They're and then we're going to have like our Lando character show up. Who do we go? Bill Murray, suave Bill Murray. That's who we get for our Lando character. And you know, we are doing The Empire Strikes Back. Gotta have a betrayal in there, <laughs> and it doesn't work. Yeah. I I, uh, I I think that's interesting that you mentioned that because Scott's wife throughout the entire. Uh, watching was was saying this is a Star War. <laughs> this is a Star War. <laughs> it it does feel very Star War. They have the cantina yeah. scene and it's yep. yeah. It, the, the so, someone gets landowed immediately. Hank yeah. is flying a spaceship <laughs> for most of the movie. <laughs> yeah. Um. What what I was going to say earlier. Uh. And part of the two party system that they have going on in this movie, the conflict is <laughs> the same. You have the the parental child uh, conflict of like you're not who you were. You're not telling me things. You're not telling me all the things that I need to hear from you. And that's a big problem with this because it's like Hope's whole thing is that Janet refuses to talk about the quantum realm, and it feels extraordinarily manufactured and forced because it's like. This conflict is only happening because this movie is happening. This is a conversation that should have happened over the course of the last few years. Granted, yeah. in the MCU timeline, Janet has maybe been around for a few months and then she gets blipped and then she comes back for an indiscriminate, an indescribed amount of time before this movie happens. And it just that conflict, let alone what's going on with Scott and Cassie is just so forced because again, it, it only exists because the movie is happening and the movie needs it to exist. Yeah. yeah. It, and there, there are points in the movie where I was legitimately frustrated with Janet's unwillingness to just say what was going on because <laughs> yeah. it had come to the point where it was clearly very important for Hank and hope to know yes. what was happening. And she was still just being like, I'm not going to talk about it. And it's like, why? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> There's yeah. no reason it, I can to not I talk can about forgive it her not talking about it for all the months we didn't see her on screen, but once you're in the shit, you need to spill the beans. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. like that old sitcom thing where they, where people uh, could just solve their problems by two people who have a misunderstanding just talking to one another, and they just don't. Yeah. Uh, though I also like what Josh said about the the sort of duality of the two parties being this like parent child relationship honesty thing. And I, I, I love that insight. I hadn't even picked up on that. And I think the reason I didn't pick up on it is because they're both kind of the same as opposed to being compliments to each other, like showing that dynamic from two perspectives. They just kind of show it from the same perspective. Even that's generous. It, none is a perspective. <laughs> like at some time, you know. Yeah, because um, the, the kid is it, in the it right. It does not go deep on that. Yeah, the kid is in the right. The parent is in the wrong. And the movie does not even take a second to be like, is the, is the child potentially wrong in this situation? Like, no, Janet should be more forthcoming with hope, especially considering they're in the quantum realm. And then Scott should be a little bit more invested in what, what's going on with Cassie as just being a good parent, but to give the movie a, I guess a little bit of credit, even though it's not really a lot of credit, 
the conflict between Scott and Cassie is also so poorly defined that like, I don't even really know what the conflict is after watching this movie twice. Yeah. It was this sort of half baked, like you gotta, you gotta help people who need help. You know, even if it just, cause you can't, it's not happening to you. Doesn't mean it's not happening, which is like, you know, they, they spend five seconds deliberating on that when they meet the rebels. And then they're like, well, we brought danger to their front door, so now it is happening to us, so we're going to help them. Like, he doesn't get to sit in that. He doesn't get exactly. to, you know. This is um, not yeah. This is not specifically one of my fixes, so I'm, I'm going to spill this here. Um, because it is something that I toyed with. I think it's even something that we discussed after the movie. Um, it would have been interesting if that relationship dynamic between Scott and Cassie had been a little more about Cassie, not just Cassie wanting to, Scott to be more heroic and to step up and and use his position to help people who need help in in not just a punching the bad guy way but if Scott's take on it was also more defined and was you've been in jail I don't want you to end up like me mm-hmm. I am I was a criminal and you're breaking the law and then for the resolution to maybe come from him under him coming to understand that the law can be wrong when faced with a tyrant. Mm. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and, and I think that that would have been an interesting development and that would have been an interesting conflict for them. But they, they kind of half-assed it, as Liam said. <laughs> or abandoned it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah or it abandoned does, it. It does feel it kind of ends just partway through. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it feels because once once he gets to the the quantum realm, he's doing plenty of Ant Man stuff. He's not resigned to do it. Um, there's no conflict yeah. there about about being a hero again. Um, so that it doesn't really track with what they've set up in the opening. Are we going to talk about Modok? <laughs> <laughs> do we have to right now? <laughs> um, I, talk I about wasted potential. Like, I, can I just? Quickly mention just something about the special effects on Modoc, um, because <laughs> I mean, obviously the criticism is that it looks like they just like took a face into Photoshop and then just used the bounding box tool to expand his face. That's like that's what it looks like a lot of the time. But um, at certain points in the in the movie, uh, especially right at the end when he kind of like there's a shot where he gets um, punched by something. And there's a kind of like a close-up side view. And mm-hmm. at that point, you get to see like what was kind of intended with the character. Like there's a lot of detail in his face. Um, it, you know, it's 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 very cartoony, but also being real realistic at the same time. Very detailed. So yeah. I I'm just I'm not I was wondering to myself whether um it it looked it looked bad only because of how we read faces and we just and we just read that face as looking weird uh when it's depicted as realistic especially when it's like head like you know head on um uh-huh. and that it wasn't necessarily the fault of the animators that it didn't end up looking that great i i really think it's a case where um, the MCU went, you know what, we're gonna do Seth Rogen a solid here and show them how not to do Krang for you know the next Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie. That's truly what I think it is. But to your point, no, this is not a problem with the animators. This is a problem with the expectations of the studio and not listening to the animators about what they wanted. You can see that they 
did not know exactly what they wanted out of the character, which is why in some cases it looks good in other cases it looks off. And they never settled on a stylized vision for the character. It was, is what I'm thinking. And that's why you get like conflicting shots of, okay, this one might look good. This one might look bad because you have so many different studios because they outsource like specific scenes to dozens of different, different studios. Different. And yeah, you've never yeah. got a unified vision of, Someone going, this is the character and it's defined across all spectrums. I wonder too, if it's, if it's just a matter of like, they wanted you to see the actor. Whereas like, if they had let him be like, really make this detailed, gnarly CG puppet voiced by that guy and still have the flashback, but really give him like, just have him be another CG character. There's already like a guy with a laser for a head. (laughs) Um, But they, they've got that actor's face as opposed to just like, Letting, you know, yeah, but having him voice it, make it kind of like his likeness, but make it all mushy potato faced. Yeah, um, I, I think you're I think you're right in that. I, I think it would have been well served if they had made Modoc look much more grotesque. Um, mm-hmm. If he was more Krang like, if you will, you know, yeah. he like I think that would have that would have um, dialed down in a sort of a counterintuitive way. The uncanniness of it. Yeah. Yeah. Modoc is such a hard character to. To translate, and I think part of the problem also is that they they locked in on the battle mode design, like when he has the the visor down and you just see like the angry face that blends kind of in with the chair, and they were just like, uh-huh. do whatever. He's a giant head. Just make fill in the head there and go. Yeah, the the ba- I, that's what I was gonna say is the battle mode thing looks sick, and yep. I think they would have got a lot of mileage by leaving that on him, having him be this menace. Uh, having all of us comic nerds who know it's usually his dumb face um, <laughs> that, okay, well, they've just done MODOK with a face. Oh, oh, like they've just done MODOK with a like a face mask. Um, and then when the reveal happens later in the movie, it's this like, oh, oh, moment, right? Oh, it was the yellow jacket all along. Oh, it's that actor. Like, but they, they, they tip the bit immediately and then make us look at a terrible version of this actor's face. Yeah. Like, Which... Yeah, you're you're kind of right. It wouldn't have been so bad if we'd had if we'd had his face less often. If they had just yep. saved it for a big reveal at the end, even if it looked weird and uncanny, it probably would have been a little more forgivable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like when Deadpool takes off his <laughs> his mask, yeah. it's like only for a second because he's so ugly. He puts it back. That's why he wears it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's part of the problem too, though, is that they did not know what they wanted to do with Modok. They just know he's a goofy character who can be a threat but in general he's just a giant head in a rocket chair essentially and so they were like let's just make fun of him the whole time instead of making him a menace even though the first time he's ever introduced he is supposed to be this the right hand man of kang Uh i was gonna say we should jump right into our fixes because i do think we have a lot but i i do want to have everyone go take a moment and sing one praise of this movie because as we said off the top it's not bad it it really i think got a bad rap online my theory personally is that this isn't any better or worse than the average mcu movie it just happened to come out the same time everyone (laughs) decided marvel movies weren't cool anymore uh this wasn't the straw that broke the camel's back it was just the first victim of a shift in the cultural zeitgeist uh that like yeah you know that it could, whatever movie had come out February 2023 was going to get eaten alive by people who have just decided the MCU is not cool anymore. 
We've been um, waiting since 2014 for an MCU movie to to be bad. I remember so many articles about like, is Guardians of the Galaxy going to be the movie that breaks the MCU? Mm-hmm. And no, they had almost 10 more years of legs left going. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'll I'll go I'll go back to the the special effects again, just uh, and the production design because the the one thing that I did really appreciate about this movie was that there was actually a lot of really cool character designs. The the guy with a laser for the face. Uh, that was awesome. <laughs> I loved that a lot. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, there was lots of cool uh, ships, really cool aliens. The, 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 the little guy that liked, had an obsession with holes or whatever. He looked interesting. And um, yeah, I, 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 overall, I, I, I appreciated the, the only, the only drawback was the way that Marvel uh, f- films a lot of this stuff. Um, they shoot pretty loose so that they can make, uh, a lot of decisions in post and uh, that for me anyway kind of ruined some of the action scenes just because uh, I really you really felt the 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 staginess uh, behind <laughs> all the cool computer animation that was going on which you know uh, th- I think they did a relatively good job on considering usually what time constraints they're under I, I actually thought mo- for the most part the effects uh, looked pretty good um, but yeah, you could tell like there was there's a scene at the end where where Kang and Ant Man are, are are fighting inside um, that room where uh, where the portal was, and you could you could immediately see like the way that the camera's swinging around and stuff and stuff like that. It's like oh, they're on a set now. They're on a set, and they had a plan about how they wanted the action to go, and it was like oh, yay, this is exciting. <laughs> you know, the camera's doing interesting things instead of just being flat. So yeah. Um, I quite liked the, like, I know we were kind of, uh, dumping on the, the conflict between Cassie and Scott, but I thought that the chemistry between the two of them was rock solid. (laughs) I believed that she was the same girl that we'd seen in the previous two movies. Like without missing a beat, the two of them clicked as like father and daughter. They had big father, daughter energy, the whole movie. And I mean, one thing that Ant-Man has had going for it the whole time has been like really solid casting and all of the, all of the actors are, are doing good work here with what they've got. Um, so I have no, I have no real qualms there right across the board, really, except for, of course, some in hindsight, poor casting choices, but. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'll, I'll piggyback off what Scott just said. Uh, the familial chemistry uh, that Paul Rudd exudes in this movie is fantastic. And I think that the scene where he's in the multiverse engine thingamajig and he's just like producing different probabilities of different Scots. And at one point, I think Cassie radios to him and they all just come together and they do the, the like rarely seen ant pyramid where they, they just start piling on top of each other to kind of lift the, prime Scott up to get the, the multiverse engine. I thought that sequence was really good. Um, the visual effects were really well done. And I, I believe having been through this journey with Scott through two other movies, plus, uh, a couple of Avengers movies and Captain America civil war that he, any version of Scott, the minute Cassie comes into play, they would bond together and just make whatever needed to, whatever needed to have happen make it happen well uh alex mulls his good thing i i'm actually gonna go to bat (laughs) (laughs) gonna go to bat for the super intelligent ants 
Um, as Deus Ex Machina, dumb, you know, ace up our sleeve plays go. Uh, I like that ants. They found a way to include ants in the Ant Man movie, and I liked how they got involved so much that unfortunately it's a bit of a criticism. I wish there was more of it. <laughs> the idea that time doesn't work the same way in this quantum realm there. And there's like levels to it, right? Like there's layers. And so that if these ants got stuck on like a different kind of like spectrum of size and then therefore time, they would have generations to become this hyper intelligent warrior race to come save the day in this two like very inception like there was like this inceptioniness to it that i kind of liked <laughs> and all that is ever said about it is scott goes what about your mother cassie we don't know how time worked down here time works down here could be a day could be five years we gotta get you back and i'm like i i wanted more of that kind of like soft to medium sci-fi nonsense mm-hmm. um Especially considering, and, and I'm sure we'll get into this with the notes, the idea that if this character can shrink really small down to the size of an atom, possibly, and grow to the size of a building, that putting him in a subatomic world and then having him grow ten times as big as Kang is still, like, that's kind of funky, and I can see why they didn't want to get hung up on that. And in lieu of that, I want other layers to sort of play a factor. Yeah. I will say I do like I do like how Hank totally downplays the hyperintelligent ants at the end where he shows up, everybody looks at him for an explanation and his answer is just I like ants. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh I will say that the uh the ants upset me only because the battle armor looked so good. I'm like that could be on a dino rider. <laughs> <laughs> So I, I will use my, my, my blanket get out of jail free card that the best thing of the movie is Michelle Pfeiffer because sure. Sure. I was like seven and she was in Batman Returns <laughs> and, every, and I've, I've never given up my, my love of her. Aside no, she's from, still, she still got it. I still love her. Uh, that's how I. That's how I feel about Ruben Rabasa, uh, the <laughs> the guy at the Baskin Robbins, who's like, it's the Spider Man. <laughs> so. But uh, there are actually two things th- with Kang that I actually enjoy. One mm-hmm. is I hardly ever feel that an MCU villain is actually intimidating or terrifying. Um, we have Michael Keaton in Homecoming just straight up pulling a gun on Spider-Man and you actually think that Spider-Man's in trouble when he is giving that little speech to, uh, to Scott with the whole, like, which one are you? Are you Thor? I've killed so many of you before. I don't even remember that actually was like, okay, this is interesting. They're giving backstory. They're giving context that uh-huh. this person doesn't even give a crap about which one this is. I've wiped the floor with you a thousand times. Just give me the name. I'll figure out who, how to defeat you. The other one is a while back ago, I actually rewatched the first two Sam Remy Spider-Man films and they're bloody. There's gore. Peter is beat to heck. Um, At one point, the Green Goblin punches him and he spews blood all over the floor. You have the second Mm -hmm. one with the horrifying Doc Ock scene. And to actually have a fight that ends up in fisticuffs, which is kind of ridiculous that 
Kang would get into a fist fight with anyone. I mean, he has, Uh he's supposed to have all these powers, but to get Scott being thrashed and bleeding, I was like, holy crap. The MCU finally remembers that. Yeah. Heroes bleed. He's (laughs) only got a suit. He's not, he's not, you know, uh, Captain America. He doesn't have an iron, you know, suit around him. He's just got his Ant-Man suit that's damaged. He's going to bleed. And I, for a brief moment was like, oh, they're going to beat the hell out of Paul Rudd and kill him. (laughs) <laughs> That's how they're going to introduce Kang is he's going to curb stomp Ant-Man and go through that portal. And that's some, and that's how we introduce this is the new threat. I have now killed off one of the Avengers and I'm walking through uh-huh. that damn portal. Did that happen? After just talking about how I wiped the floor with them in all timelines. Yeah. yeah that that Let's file that under fixes because that would have been a hell of an ending. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I thought that's what uh, would happen. It didn't. But I yeah. was happy to see that there was blood and stakes in yep. two brief moments before sure. they pulled back and said, ah, we're saving that death for Kang dynasty. <laughs> but are uh, they before we, not- before we hit break? Sorry, uh, Liam. I, I just wanted to mention one thing, which is like, uh, Ant-Man is fundamentally like a, a movie about scale. Right. Mm-hmm. And we, we were previously talking about like how, uh, in the you know Liam was mentioning in the in the quantum universe, there's some like I don't know it doesn't it doesn't feel as like scaly because they're in this little time they're they're in a, they're in a, in a place where you don't really know what the scale is I guess is what I'm saying mm-hmm. because it's yeah. it's a fun it's like a completely alien universe so you don't get that all that fun stuff that you get in the first two movies about like things you things you understand and look at like buildings cars you know whatever blowing up big or shrinking really small and things like that. So I, I for me, that was like one of the things about this movie did, that didn't work and didn't make it fun. Like the, the, the powers of the character felt blunted because of it. Um, I don't know. It, it, it's unfortunate, but like, I, I, I don't want to say that they shouldn't have told the quantum realm story because it's, it's kind of an interesting sci-fi story, but um, it does have its drawbacks. And with that, we will uh, take a quick break and get into our fixes. I'd like to get more reading done, and joining a book club seems like a good idea, but I don't know. Why not? Reading a whole book in a month, that's pretty daunting. What if it was just a chapter, say a week? That doesn't sound too bad. Still, getting together with a bunch of people, that's a whole evening. Well, what if it was only half an hour, whenever you wanted to? That would be great. The Read Along, a mini book club for your ears. Join my wife, Anita. And my husband, Scott. As we take you on a journey through a good book, one one chapter chapter at at a time. time. Available right now on your podcatcher of choice. Welcome back to I Have Some Notes. We're joined by Josh and Alex of Talking Smack, and we are talking about Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. Uh, We're going to get into our fixes here. Uh, I'm going to start off with one. Uh, Mostly there's a question I just want answered. Maybe you guys can answer it, but I would have preferred if the movie did. Um, Why was that Kang exiled? Because he won. Reasons. I think he he implies that he was the Kang who beat all the other Kangs, and they had to team up to exile him from time and space. Like, I've watched all the Marvel things, and I'm still unclear. Like, Loki's... The other, I don't, neither of you have given me a satisfying answer. (laughs) I don't know what he did wrong. Like... I, and when I saw it in the theaters, I thought, I'm like, is he the goodest one? Did they, like, <laughs> he's either the worst Kang or the best Kang. But either way, they had to get rid of him for Kang reasons. It's I, I wanted it explained. 
Yeah, it, it's a question that I think does bay. It, it is a I don't know what the answer is because he seems willing to make deals on certain things because he's like, hey, Janet, you let me you help me get out of here and I'll leave your timeline alone. And he keeps making the same bargain to Scott and everyone else. But he's like, is he the he who remains or is he just one who's willing to go beyond what the council is at? advocating that the Kangs go to. It's a little too vague. Actually, I I will say, I think the vague, uh, let me rephrase that. I will say that I think it's intentionally meant to be vague, whether or not it was good that Scott defeated him, because he even has that existential moment at the beginning, or at the end rather, where he's like, oh, wait, he was saying that he was the only reason something worse wasn't coming. Should I have beaten that guy now that he's gone are we in trouble nah it'll be fine do 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 um so i think the the fact that it was vague may have been intended to play into that maybe he was the good king yeah but he'd been trapped for so long and he was so yeah and he was so (laughs) desperate to get out that he had done terrible things and it makes sense to me that even the best king is still a terrible villain (laughs) but isn't that (laughs) like but it's not the ending of loki season one the Loki, the oh, the he who remains. Yeah, yeah. kind of. Yeah, because he even says like, you know, if like you kill me, you know, he's coming. So. Huh. Huh. Yeah, it is Again, kind of maybe, a rehash of that then. Maybe it's intentional vagueness on Marvel's part because they're just like, which one is the Kang that's going to restore the timeline? Yeah. <laughs> I, I have a question because I'm not a, a Marvel person. Um, is are, are all those other versions of Kang, are those from the multiverse or, or are there just like multiple versions of Kang that exist in a single universe? They're, they're multiverse. The Council of Kangs is basically kind of like a meetup area where they all come together from their own timelines. Okay. Yeah. The, yeah and they're, they're, they're all the baddest bitch in their timelines and then they get <laughs> together to do, you know, badass stuff collectively it's across the multiverse. It's literally the Citadel of Ricks. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know when I when I when I saw that pro uh, that uh, uh, post credit sequence, I was like, oh, more multiverse stuff. Really, I don't want to go oh, through yeah. this anymore. He's, he's it's the multiverse he's saga. Kind of the he's the multiverse bad guy. Like he's gotcha. in the MCU. He's the or in the Marvel Comics universe. He's he's the multiverse guy. In fact, I think there's even like a version of him in the comics where he's Reed Richards or like. He's a descendant of Reed Richards. A descendant of Reed Richards, yeah. Like, it's it's a whole, it's a time and space thing where, like, he, yeah. The inevitable entropy of infinite possibilities represented by a guy with laser face. (laughs) (laughs) Um, For the meat of this movie, what do you guys got? Well, if I can jump in, um, mainly because I want to kind of pull on the thread that Greg had brought up at the end of the first half. Um, I too have seen many criticisms of the movie being about like the part of the fun of Ant-Man is that he gets small and he gets big and you get to see him be small next to stuff. That's also small. And you get to see him be big next to stuff. That's also big. And that gives you not only the sense of scale, but that's part of the fun of his power set. And when you Mm -hmm. have him in a completely CGI alien world, you completely flub that you lose it. You lose all of the weight of his powers. And so 
I wanted to find a way to resolve that. And I think I hit upon an idea that also makes the party split a little more interesting, which is what if Hang, <clears throat> sorry, what if Hank and Janet and Cassie didn't go to the quantum realm? Okay. You have Scott and you have Hope get sucked into the quantum realm so that they can have their Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania adventure. While the B plot is Hank and Janet and Cassie trying to get them back. So you still, you have this B plot still on earth. You have Hank give Cassie a suit. That's where we get the explanation of where her suit came from because they need to get something to fix the, the majigger on their end that can bring them back. And then Cassie gets to go out and have a fun, big and small adventure in the oh, real sick, world yeah. with the ex-cons, Scott, Yay. the rest of Scott's crew helping her out. And that's your B plot. And it, it separates out the split in the party in the quantum realm. It, it, uh, saves Hank from just having to like pilot a ship for the entire movie. And it gives Ant-Man and the Wasp more to do against Kang. And if I can add this, we get Michelle Pfeiffer spilling the beans on why Kang's a bastard to no one but Hank in our reality outside of the machine. Yeah. Some dramatic irony where um, uh, Scott and uh, the Wasp, or Ant-Man and the Wasp don't know what they're up against. Uh, Michelle Pfeiffer does on the outside, uh, telling telling Hank, telling Michael but Douglas. But they can't get that information to them until to Cassie them. fixes yeah. the thing. Yeah. Yeah. I think that I think that solves a lot of kind of the a lot of the power issues because then we get to still see the big and small powers. I think it splits the party in a more interesting way and I think it it automatically gives hope more to do down in the quantum realm. Yeah, and it forces Janet to actually spill the beans in a way that makes sense as well instead of as we discussed earlier we're in the quantum realm. I'm still not going to talk about my time here because it's mm -hmm. too traumatic yeah. and I'm back here now and I got to zone in on what we're doing. But now she's telling Hank and Cassie because they need to know so that they can save the people in danger. Exactly. Yeah, I like that. Can I piggyback on one more thing on that too? Yeah. Um, they get down there. They meet these rebels. Um, uh, maybe the Wasp is singularly focused on getting out of there. Um, and Scott would be too if he didn't have this thing rattling around in his head of his daughter going just because it's not happening to you mean doesn't mean it's not happening and literally yeah. he's got to be like cassie's not here to remind me to help these people but i gotta i gotta tell her i, I can't go back out there and tell her i left these people to die and what is a, and it's great. like thematically what a tiny problem it literally is in a world that is infinitely smaller and does not it almost does not exist it would be so easy to just ignore the problems of the quantum realm. <laughs> mm -hmm. They're tiny. They're very tiny problems. Yeah. <laughs> but they but are going to grow the if they guy. are left unchecked. Yeah. yeah, and I love that. I I think that's a really great way to uh, expand upon that part with Cassie being in his ear about being a hero again. Uh-huh. Yeah. I, I, I'm I'm sort of mad at this because it's it's so good that it kind of cancels out what I wanted to say, but um, <laughs> because I was primarily focused on um, Scott's uh, emotional arc, and I yeah. I thought it would be would have been really interesting to have the end of uh, Endgame affect that character so that you know he 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 sees. Uh, Tony Stark die who leaves a daughter behind and that instills in him an enormous fear of 
going out and continuing to be a superhero because eventually, even for superheroes, your number turns up. And he just can't get over the idea of leaving uh, leaving Cassie alone, you know? Again? Uh, uh, yeah, uh-huh. exactly. Like, like the ultimate... I've gone away and I'm never, you know, I'm never coming back kind of thing. Right. And, and that is, that is, uh, why he's not a, a superhero anymore. And, and that is what creates all the tension between, uh, him and Cassie and that, and she doesn't really, he's not talking about it and he, he, um, and maybe he's not even fully aware of why he feels that way. Um, until later in the film, uh, but I think that would set up like a really nice tension, and 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 it gives, and it could create like a whole bunch of tension throughout the movie where he is continually ducking his hero responsibilities and like not helping the rebels and and things like that, so that it, his pure focus is to get himself out of the quantum realm, either so that he can get back to Cassie in your version, Scott, or or in a version that more closely resembles the movie proper, um, he's not. He's trying to uh, keep Cassie out of danger continually, right? Yeah, I like that a lot because it it adds a lot to the the mask of celebrity that Scott is leaning into as well. Like the movie just passes it off as like, oh, he's a lovable goofball, and he's just mm-hmm. he's just enjoying the celebrity of life and yeah. getting what's owed I, to him. But in, in I, your version, the the celebrity is uh, a safety net. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it would be it'd be so great to have this character who's uh normally um so comical and and funny to have this enormous amount of frailty underneath everything and I think that would have made for a really a really meaty uh role for uh for uh Paul Rudd. That's a very believable motivation for him too because he's already spent so much time in jail and missed her when she was very young and then he spent five years blipped and missed her growing up. He's missed so much of his, of her life already. And he's terrified of missing more of it. Yeah. So I, I think that's a, of, of all of the Marvel characters, that is a very believable fear for him to have. Yeah. <laughs> the other thing I had was, uh, was, was Modoc. Um, it's sort of the opposite to what Liam said in the, in the first half where I kind of, I kind of actually envisioned him as being like, uh, kind of a mask off character where he's like he's always he's always mask off I mean literally like he's 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 always that goofy face and he looks mm-hmm. dumb and he's kind of like this comic relief throughout the entire uh, film and um, maybe he's sort of like playing along uh, with he's working for Kang but he's sort of playing along with Scott and and Cassie and and Hope uh, and and then I just I just love the idea of this turn at the end where that you the first time you see that evil mask of his is right when he betrays them and it just like comes down and then <laughs> and then things just get fucking serious because this 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 character that looked goofy and stupid throughout the entire movie suddenly is an existential threat and I just like that contrast and I think that would have been fun. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Well, you guys yeah, are honestly, me and Alec. <laughs> in my version of the movie, I don't think even has Modoc in it. But <laughs> <laughs> you could That's still fair. you could still have him in there to fight Scott and Hope as a mini boss, I suppose. Yeah. Um, well, Alex and I collaborated on our rewrite, and we basically went, "Let's just do a Star War." This movie is already kind of half-assing a Star <laughs> War, so let's just do a Star <laughs> War. 
So in our rewrite, we, we keep the first like 15 minutes the same, uh, everything going into the quantum realm. I think one thing that needs to be fixed is explaining why they get sucked in because it's basically just a, it's a radio going down into the quantum realm. So how they get portaled in there makes no sense. So like maybe they're pulling samples or something as well. Like that's part of what they're trying to do. And yeah, now that you mention it, if if Kang could open a portal to suck them in through the radio, why couldn't he have followed the radio wave back out to exactly? <laughs> wow, I just <laughs> that just blew my mind. Oh my god, <laughs> that makes no sense. <laughs> but in our version, um, Hank gets left behind, and he kind of has his own adventure. He gets to be Ant Man one last time. Uh, kind of what you were alluding to with your rewrite, Scott. Uh, but in this case, we have. Um, Janet, who's taking on more of like a Rick O'Connell from the 1999 Mummy movie, instead of her being like, I can't tell you, I won't tell you, we're just going to move on. Rick is now, he's he's never really forthcoming in, with what he knows, but when it comes time to do what needs to be done in the situation, he's like, hold on. And he just kind of like take two steps to the left, spikes come up and he, he just knows. And he's not going to tell anyone about it because it, like he doesn't want to talk about it, but he's not going to put anyone in harm's way because of it. Um, so Janet becomes kind of the Han Solo, Rick O'Connell kind of type, um, or I guess more Obi-Wan because she's the mentor, uh, person since she's been there before. Yeah. Um, hope yeah. is essentially Chewbacca because again, in our rewrite, she doesn't get a whole lot more to do, but she's there. <laughs> uh, Scott is Han because he's suave and whatever. And then Cassie is Luke. It's her first adventure. She's going out there and learning the ropes. Hank is three PO. He just does whatever and he He's, he's fixing the portal so he can bring them back. Um, with a lot of what we do, though, uh, we have Modok being a Darth Vader type. He can still be kind of goofy. He takes the mask off and they're just like, I can't take you seriously like this. Like, what what are we supposed to do with a giant head? Like a, like a, a dark um, helmet kind of situation. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> um, but like you have Kang kind of ominously in the background of throughout the movie and um he has to obviously be the big bad and you have to set up the MCU in in that sense. But um, a lot of what Alex and I discussed leans more into just, let's just do a star war. We're going to cut the gratuitous mm-hmm. Bill Murray tra- uh, trailer spot because it, it serves no pers- purpose, but we can still that have was, a cantina That was scene. one of my fixes. Yeah. You don't need him. Don't need Bill Murray at all. I love that. I we're very rarely am I annoyed or disappointed to see Bill Murray in a movie, <laughs> but you can cut it entirely. Uh, there, there's three. There are three Bs that I'm never uh, sad to see in a movie: uh, Bill Murray, Batman, and boobs. Uh, but in this case, uh, <laughs> you can you can cut him. Yeah, this is the, this cameo is the exact opposite of Zombieland. Like it it is yeah. nothing. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but Alex, I'll let you take over some of these other rewrites we came up with. Uh, so one of my thinkings is that so the first Ant Man is about passing the torch from Hank to um to Scott. The second one is about Hope taking over her mother's mantle as Wasp and also finding the other Wasp. So this one is about Michelle Pfeiffer's Wasp. One of the first things that happens is she actually gives a reason why they're not going into the quantum realm, why they need to turn off the radio before the hijacking happens. And she just straight up gives her speech. She says, I've been gone for six years. Entire civilizations can rise and fall in that time. Go from Stone Age to democracy to totalitarianism. 
fall and rise again. And in that time within the quantum realm, he has endured them all. I was there at his rise, saw what he did for my 50 years. I've been gone six. I can only fear what he's done in that time. And they get sucked in. Hank gets left behind. And here's something the movie forgot that needs to be addressed. Uh She has quantum powers. The longer she's down there, the more her powers grow. She is Obi-Waning this shit with her quantum powers. And that allows her to be the the whole Ant-Man and the Wasp quantum mania. It allows her to be uh, uh, Janet, you know, Jedi allows hope to be hope wasp and then gives context to hope and Janet can kind of mentor along with Scott. Like you're stuck with us now, kid. You're going to have to do something. Now, in terms of Modok being a goofy, stupid Darth Vader, since uh, Cassie's afraid mm-hmm. of the B Man, yeah, she actually has to fight him. That is what she gets pulled away to do. Is she gets has to handle him, and that is where you don't go. Stop being a dick <laughs> as a solution. This is childhood trauma. This is, yeah. she was oh, yeah. like, what, five or six, and she watched her Thomas the Tank Engine get thrown around, her dad growing and shrinking, all this stuff. Why is she afraid of this huge, this guy? And now he's back, and he's just this head in armor. And that is when, you know, she gets actually a chance to really embrace the power versus the weird goofiness that they did with him. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. The other three are fighting the Emperor. They're fighting Kang, who actually has power. Beyond laser, uh, Iron Man and beams and telekinesis. So those yeah, are some we, of the major fixes we want. Prop, we need to properly acknowledge that Kang is a master of time. And mm-hmm. so like he can basically give him speedster powers. He can just move from one end of the room to the other in a, in a, in the blink of an eye. And that's, that's something that the movie just has no interest in telling us about because he's, mm-hmm. he's a multiverse guy. He's not a time traveler, but his powers are basically just Iron Man. So it's not yeah. as interesting visually because we've seen it for 15, 20 years now. I wonder if they I, did, if they did that just because they were concerned if you overpowered him too much, it might feel less uh, realistic that the, the Ant-Man-powered characters can go up against that. Yeah, that's why I mean, you, Janet has her Jedi powers. Mm-hmm. That's why and it has the quantum powers. You sure, know? yeah, yeah. It, it's that that's part of the thing is that it should be is as they're starting to come into in, into contact with him, is that if he has straight up said, I've killed you a thousand times, he should know what their moves are. He should be able uh-huh. to casually be def- deflecting them. You know, maybe take a hit now and then, but he knows what's coming. He's seen their interactions before across these other variants. Same thing with the wasp, but Janet is something that he has been hunting. He's been trying mm. to find. She is his rival, and it takes the three of them to actually. If they're going to defeat him, then it takes the three of them. Yeah, it takes it takes someone with equally ridiculous gang powers, yeah. and that's, yeah. that's and, quantum Janet. And one thing you need to acknowledge as well is that, like a lot of his um, time traveling powers, multiverse powers are tied to technology. Like he, he can have the, the quantum powers that Janet has acquired, but his ability to move from one end of the room to the other, that's all tied to his chair and his suit. So once you start breaking that apart, you start seeing those uh, kinks in the armor. 
Yeah. Uh, I want to circle back to just the, the, the heart of your, your pitch. Uh, really inspired me. Just the idea of putting Modoc first, the way Vader is kind of put forward, where you're like, wow, there's nobody scarier than Vader. And then it's like, oh, damn, he's just the right hand man to the like, this mecha fascist, like, <laughs> mecha fascist. and then you get way more out of Modoc. And you get this like intimidating buildup of, of what Kang can do. And so Kang is, isn't the, the villain. Kang is the giant laser to the sky. That's the, you know, um, evil MacGuffin of all the other movies. Like he's, they can't let the giant space laser go to the sky. It, they got to beat Modoc to, to, to stop it. Yeah. Um, but instead of it just being laser to the sky, it's a guy. It's a guy who's going to get out <laughs> and, um, cause problems yeah so i i, I mwah, love it yeah and then the the cassie <laughs> thing with modok as well that could be part yes. of the heart of scott and cassie's story in this movie because if cassie is expressing fear scott is obviously always afraid of losing cassie or something happening to her um but it it's the parental thing of letting go she's grown up i've taught her everything i need to know it's her time to shine and, and then she beats her. up the B-Man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, confront those childhood traumas is great instead of playing it for laughs. Yeah. yeah. Um, speaking of playing it for laughs, uh, my last little cut that I want to add. Um, the be a, you know, don't be a dick, but I am a dick. Well, don't be a dick. It wasn't great. I don't love it, but I like, fine, whatever. <laughs> I like your version better for sure. Fine. If that, that should have been the last we saw of MODOK. But I cringed in the theater and I cringed when we watched it the other day <laughs> when they come back and he's laying there all half dead and he's like, you guys, I'm, I'm your friend, right? And, and, and I, I help save the day because I, I turned code at the last minute, right? I'm, I'm basically an Avenger, right? That level of bathos was abhorrent and it, <laughs> it needs to be cut whole cloth. And we'll punctuating it with with the touching of the face, like Scott, you were yeah. brother to me. Mm-hmm. Look at how close we are. It's so yeah. It's so in just, in fairness, I believe they did mention that his yellow jacket suit was uh, not adequately protecting his brain, and he was using pim particles to turn it into Swiss cheese. <laughs> so uh, he's clearly not in his right mind anymore. Oh, sure. I mean, maybe uh, um, character wise, it makes sense, but it's it from it was a scene of too much bathos. Yeah, no, uh, for in sure. A, in a spot I, where I, it didn't need to be there. <laughs> I 100% agree with you. Um, there's one more thing that Alex and I added in. Um, because it's the MCU, um, we need to tie in to the larger MCU. Uh, so, one thing that I think should change is getting rid of Scott's narration at the end as he's getting Cassie's cake and stuff. I think a real easy and quick fix is you do a debrief scene with him, uh, Wong, Bruce, whoever else you want to have cameo in there. And he's just recapping the adventure they just had about defeating Kang. And because the whole mages order that Wong and Dr. Strange are part of is like part of protecting the multiverse. They would be interested in knowing this. So you would think that he would be like, Hey, this guy said these things. I don't know if he was lying or if he's telling the truth. I don't know what I, what kind of Pandora's box I opened, but we need to discuss this because this could become an Avengers problem, but they, they want to play it off for laughs where he's just like, nah, it's fine. 
Uh, but you could also just easily transition out of that because his phone alarm will go off. He's like, oh, the ice cream cake's going to melt. And like you can have Wong just grab it from a portal, give it to him, and he goes off to the party. Um, but I think doing a debrief with mm-hmm. teasing who else is still in the Avengers is better than just this existential crisis monologue voiceover. Yeah, that's sloughed off. Yeah, for a laugh. Yeah. Nope, valid for sure. I like my ending. He kills Ant Man and walks through the damn portal. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and he's out. He's, yeah, yeah. I, it, it's definitely a baller move. Like it really it sets him up as a as a major threat. If he if he we lose a guy, if we lose Paul, and everyone loves Paul Rudd, mm-hmm. and it's like what a way to get people excited for this villain. If like oh we're, we could be losing Avengers, like this isn't mm-hmm. this we ain't playing. You you don't even have to lose him forever because it's a multiverse story. He exactly. can be back in another movie, just a different yeah. variant of him. Yeah. Baskin Robbins. Yeah. <laughs> Baskin <laughs> Robbins Scott saves the day. <laughs> I'm wearing normal clothes. What are you wearing? <laughs> Legitimate funny line. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think those are all uh, canny fixes for Ant-Man. Uh, they all could have gone that same way, whether it's the big... Uh, you know, potential Scott dies, uh, like we were teasing in the first one, or something just a little more grounded, like switching up the parties, um, or aping Star Wars. I think we're, we've we've got some solid fixes on the table, and of course, all of our listeners had some great insights as well. Thank you to everyone who commented. We always appreciate when you chime in on social media, or best place to chime in on our Discord, please. Find our link tree, get a invite to the Discord. We'd love to have you. Um, we're talking to uh, Josh all the time. It's a, it's a great little chat. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a fun community. Alex, get in here. Mm. Yeah, I'll work on it. <laughs> uh, Chris comments, uh, the hero's thing is being tiny or big, so put them in a universe with zero sense of scale? Question mark. Needs a total rewrite. Needs a total rewrite. Send Ant-Man back in time or to Tokyo or something. Let Doctor Strange go to the microverse. I, I liked my fix for that. I thought it was elegant to just yeah. have some adventure happening in the real world, some adventure happening in the tiny world. Yeah. Yeah. It's really easy to, with your thing, Scott, to have Cassie bump it. You know what, Scott, your fix also fixes the end <laughs> of, um, uh, not Secret Invasion, what's uh, the end of the Marvels. Scott, your fix also fixes the post-credit scene in Marvels. Oh. Because, <laughs> um, spoiler alert, the post-credit scene in Marvels, um, uh, Hawkeye, what's her name? Kate Bishop. Kate Bishop oh, yeah. shows up uh, to Miss Marvel's house and is like, hey, there's a bunch of 20-something people with superpowers. You all want to start a, a backup team, more or less? And she says this line where she's like, hey, did you know Ant-Man had a daughter? And I saw a bunch of people online being like, how would she know Ant-Man has a daughter with a suit? But if at some point in Scott's version, Cassie's running around the real world, she can bump into Kate Bishop or Miss Marvel or the the weird Hulk kid that uh, we don't talk about the picnic. (laughs) I will say, though, uh, Josh has a wonderful reason how Kate Bishop knows all that stuff. Hit me. Oh, it's because Marvel has the most amazing debriefs ever in their universe. <laughs> like there, there's, a whole, <laughs> there's a whole thing in WandaVision where they're talking about how like, oh, didn't don't you remember when Ms. Mar or when Captain Marvel headbutted Thanos? 
It's like, how do you know these little details? Like, it's the most detailed debriefs ever. Yeah, the whole recast your brother bullshit. (laughs) Jim Story comments, smaller man. I would also say make the ant the lady and make the wasp the man. (laughs) Now picturing Paul Rudd with boobs from uh, Ant-Man 2 where he's being Michelle Pfeiffer. (laughs) Stroking Hank's face. (laughs) (laughs) Deuterium Ice comments, uh, I've heard Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania described as a DLC pack, and I just can't shake that framing. <laughs> that would shock a lot of... There's definitely a lot of new characters. <laughs> yeah, it's... And and it looks very video gamey in a lot of places. So. Yeah. A, lot of, a lot of new skins for that game. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, look, if, if Disney could fit loot boxes into their movies, I'm sure they would do it. <laughs> Oh Lord! Don't give my ideas. No, no. Warner Warner Brothers would do that first. Yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah. Someone didn't play Marvel's Avengers. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff Sampsono says Ant Man worked when its story was smaller (pun intended), but making this one about the multiverse gobbledygook made it hard to get through, and that's an extra waste of time now that Marvel has to pivot away from their big bad from here into the IRL verse. Rightfully so. Just doing a rescue mission across the weird and wild miniverse could have been fun. You know, I will say this. Just recast the guy. Just cast someone else as Kang. You don't have to go back to the drawing board. You've recast characters before and just carried on. People understand the reason why no one's going to question why he has a different face. Also, you know he's a time-traveling multiverse guy. He can have a different face. <laughs> I'm probably not the first person to think of this, but I truly came to this organically just now. You know who they should replace him with is Terrence Howard. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and don't explain job. it. And so from don't what explain I- it. From what I understand, the real-world implications, I don't know how this works from a legal standpoint, but from what I understand... Uh, the agent for the Kang actor uh, had been bragging about how he locked in the actor to be the only guy to play the role. So they couldn't get a variant. That's a different person or anything like that. for uh. an Easter egg. It, like only that person could play any variant. And I don't know how that works in a legal situation where they're being found guilty of domestic abuse. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like that should null and void the contract and they can just do whatever they want to do with the character. But I'm I'm wondering if they're n- just not like afraid of the discussion that happens around the recast of that character now. So they're just I, like, I, we're just going to move on. I would be shocked if Disney did not have ethics clauses in yeah. their contract. Yeah. yeah, they almost. Yeah, I think they very clauses. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure they famously do. So I, I would think that this would be something that, and it's Disney. They have Disney money to throw at lawyers. I think they can take on a Hollywood agent. Yeah. yeah and I'm sure a payoff for something like that would be minimal for what it would cost to just completely revamp what they're doing with the multiverse saga. So mm-hmm. I, I don't know, but that, that's what I have heard through the grapevine. Andrew Craig says, when that version of Modoc is one of the best things about your movie, you should know you have a problem. Ooh. Yeah. Um, I, pre- I I appreciate the swing and the miss with Modoc. I guess I'll, I'll leave it at that. You have to appreciate the big something. swing. Yeah, it didn't work, but you know what? How do, how do you translate Modoc to screen? Those cowards in the first X-Men movie were too afraid to bring yellow suits onto screen. And these guys <laughs> had the audacity to get Modoc up there. I, you know, kudos for the attempt. That's a great perspective and a very fair point. 
Yeah. <laughs> it's taken 25 years to put Wolverine in the yellow outfit, but it's finally <laughs> happening yeah. this summer. I remember, um, I'm, I'm sorry to d- derail from the listener comments, but okay. I just, re- I remember a friend of mine had a, a huge fit in back in 2015 or 24. Yeah. I think it was 2015. No, 2014 when guardians of the galaxy came out because he's like, how the hell is rocket raccoon making it to the big screen before wonder woman? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just, they, they got the, they got the guts, they got the gumption and it's lasted them a very long time. Mr. Mr. Feige, he's really, he's got a lot of goodwill and it's starting to peter out. Um, speaking of Peter, this guy's named Dolav. Dolav <laughs> Rockney says the appeal of the first two Ant-Man movies was that there were a little more low-key, not the fate of the world. There's literally not a single non-superpowered character in this movie. So first off, this movie needs stakes that are uh, comprehensible to the audience. I mean, that's fair. And we've discussed mm-hmm. it before on this show that one of the better MCU movies is Spider-Man Homecoming. And again, the stakes in that movie are a dude is trying to steal Tony Stark's plane. Um, It's not world ending. It's not uh, earth shattering, but because it's personal to Peter, we feel for it. And you can do that with, with a a neighborhood level superhero like Ant-Man yeah. Uh, who does thief stuff. Like it doesn't have to be even the stuff in the second movie with ghost. Wasn't that high stakes. It was, it was just a personal thing involving like Hank's past and, and yeah. someone who was out for revenge. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Stakes don't need to be, they don't need to be large. They just need to be well understood. That's yeah. yeah. I think part of what uh, a, a big complaint that people have for this movie is, you know, he's, he's a street level hero who has been, been thrust into this multiverse problem and i think there's an interesting story and perspective you can have with that and the movie just doesn't care to go into that detail Not but I, I i don't i don't think the argument of ant-man's a street level character who gets big gets small why are you having him go against a godlike character i don't think that's a fair argument that's in in good faith because you can do something interesting with that this movie oh, just didn't sure. do it no, it does not. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean to sell Ant-Man, pun intended, short there. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> verse Central commented, One thing that comes to mind is change the ending so that while Hank, Janet, and Cassie make it back, Scott and Hope are still trapped in the quantum realm, with which gives Cassie motive to try to rescue her father. Massive verse. Why end with that when you can do what I did and start with that? <laughs> <laughs> Cody commented, uh, it's, it felt like two movies, so I'd first pick one. Personally, I choose the first half where it's the weird sci-fi with monsters. Make it exploratory. No more Kang. Don't even have a villain. Focus on the characters literally finding themselves now that they've drifted apart. It's a little more uh, your guys' pitch right there, kind of. I, yeah. I saw that one on Twitter, and uh, I was like, yeah, let's just do Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Like That's, <laughs> that's fun, too. Yeah, it, ha- <laughs> it, it has a giant ant. We just need yeah. a lawnmower, and we are done. And a scorpion, <laughs> and yeah. it's got the humor that would jive with the other two movies. Yeah, like Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, but superpower. Yeah, and, and mm-hmm. you can have Modok. He's a giant head that tries to eat them as their cereal. <laughs> yeah, he's got blades <laughs> that can be like a, a lawnmower. <laughs> yeah. Tax says, "All right, this is gonna hurt, but let's just cut out everything that doesn't work and go from there. Cut Modok. Cut Kang." Cut Ant-Man's family. Cut Ant-Man. Cut the, cut the quantum realm. Cut the MCU. 
so we're keeping Michelle Pfeiffer. I'm down with that. I, I said that was my favorite part of the movie. Well, Alex, you're forgetting we're, we're losing a big chunk of our content for our podcast. Oh, damn. <laughs> uh, Tack continues. Uh, let's, you know, all joking aside, let's make an original movie about a father and daughter who are suddenly transported to an alien world and must play their political disagreements through influencing the political landscape during impending revolutionary war. That's cute. I like that a lot. Um, after being traumatically separated from each other, the father tries to avert the war that will endanger the life of his daughter, while the daughter tries to instigate war so that he can free himself from the atrocity. Uh, they both grow to appreciate the true stakes and their effects their actions could have and find their own way to tear down fascism. And you know a lot of crazy sci-fi things along the way. Doesn't have to be very jokey, but should be a fun adventure movie. Yeah. Yeah, kind of. I feel like yeah. I've seen that movie. I like... <laughs> John Carter of Mars? Yeah, it's kind of like John Carter of Mars, yeah. (laughs) Huh. Call it Scott Lang of the Quantum Realm. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And we're calling this the end of the episode. Uh, Josh, Alex, thank you so much for joining us once again. Always a joy to have you. Where can folks find Talking Smack, S-M-A-C-K? Uh, you can find us AC. on tw- okay. Okay, that's the whole point. Sorry. <laughs> you can find us on Twitter at Talking Smack Pod uh, S M A C, uh, as well as pretty much any other social media platform, including TikTok. Uh, I have fallen off making videos, but um, it's still something that I would like to expand into. But uh, you can also find us on your favorite podcatcher. Just make sure you're going for the yellow and red Talking Smack S M A C, and not the green and black one. That is a sports. Mm podcast which i am not against sports i love sports uh but that's not us we want your downloads. do they have a k are they talking smack s-m-a-c-k nope they're s-m-a-c as well um i think they what started, is their acronym i don't even know i, I don't think they advertise <laughs> it on their pay, on their thumbnail i wonder if it's like their hosts Man, hmm. oh maybe uh, and you can, of course, follow us. I have some notes, uh, facebook.com slash I have some notes at I have some notes on X. Or again, just come to I have some notes.com where there's a link tree. And the best link you could click is our Discord server. Uh, or if you are if you only get to click one more thing today, please click that subscribe or rate or review button on your podcatcher of choice. Yeah, you can also click on over to patreon.com slash I have some notes right now if you'd like to give us a little monthly financial support that helps keep the lights on around here. There are a few sweet bonuses that we throw to our patrons, patrons, patroners, nears. <laughs> regularly <laughs> patron years i love it <laughs> uh so uh yeah if you want to get in on that you can go check that out right now and everybody wants some more i have some notes where in two <laughs> weeks we'll be taking on everybody wants some uh, until then i've been liam kreswick i'm scott c bourgeois i'm great beaver keep watching the skies and trans rights are human rights fuck daniel smith <laughs>